I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison, and today we are talking about Live Golf's upcoming 2023 season. Live, as you know, is the Breakaway Golf League headed by Greg Norman and funded by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. It's really turned the golf world upside down, but a lot of things have happened recently that have suggested that Live maybe isn't in as strong a place as it was potentially last year. Liv's new season, season two of Liv, is starting next week, actually, end of next week, February 24th through the 26th at Mayakoba, El Camaleon Golf Course, which is familiar to people who are nerdy enough to follow the PGA Tour in the fall season. Mayakoba has been a venue on the tour for a while. Well, now it's now it's with Liv. So I just wanted to do basically a state of live golf podcast. What were the major things that happened last year and during the off season? And what are the major unanswered questions about the league this year? My guest is Adam Woodard, a reporter and the assistant editor for golf week. One of Adam's major roles this past year has been covering live golf on site and on a week to week basis. Adam is in a really interesting and I think difficult position because his job is to report accurately on what happens at live events and in the wider world of lives efforts to recruit players and put out a competitive product. And the rest of us just get to opine on it, which is relatively easy and allows us to take a clear moral stance on the whole enterprise. I've made very clear, abundantly clear on podcast after podcast that I do not think it's good that a that a, a, a league backed by the Saudi Arabian monarchy is trying to take over the world of golf. Um, that has been my stance from the beginning, but it's easy for me to say that. Adam's role isn't necessarily to give his opinion in the way that it that it's my role to do that. Adam's role is to give us information that's an essential underlying bedrock for the rest of our discussion. I, I can't tell you how much we rely on reporters like Adam to just give us information about what's happening because otherwise we wouldn't get it. You know, I can't talk to Brooks Kepka. I've said too many negative things about him. That guy's not going to talk to me. Um, but reporters have the kind of relationships and perspective that allows them to get information that is super essential to the rest of us. But of course, Adam is aware that in the effort to be objective, journalism can sometimes go astray and end up unintentionally endorsing things that should not be endorsed. And so I found it really interesting to get his take on, on how he sees his role and how he works through these conflicts with himself. So in any case, uh, you know, he's, he's a great guy to talk to also, just so friendly and fun, and I think you'll enjoy uh, our conversation. But first, this episode is brought to you by Club Champion. Club Champion helps golfers of any skill level play better golf through custom-fitted and custom-built equipment. 
Their extensively trained master fitters provide an in-depth, data-driven, tour-level fitting process and have access to 50,000 hittable head and shaft combos, as well as 60-plus brands. They also use industry-leading technology like TrackMan and Sam PuttLab, and they build to the tightest tolerances in the industry. Club Champions fittings produce real results for every type of player, including an average of 22-yard increases off the tee and an average of 10-yard improvements in dispersion. I have gone through Club Champion fittings myself, and one big thing that I think is so important about a Club Champion fitting, aside from getting equipment that works for you, and I really did get equipment that is well-suited to me through my fitting, but... One big value of the experience is just finding out who you are as a player, what your swing dynamics are, what your ball flight is like, and what you need out of equipment, not just the specific equipment that you get built for you at Club Champion, but from equipment in general, because I think a lot of players have misconceptions about what they actually need in their bag and what is going to help them play their best golf. Um, So I think that Club Champion fittings are a huge value in that way. So for Fried Egg listeners, the deal that Club Champion is offering is this. If you use the code FRIEDEGG, you can get 50% off the cost of your Club Champion fitting with the purchase of a club. Again, that's code FRIEDEGG, all one word. All right, let's get to Adam Woodard. So Adam, you and I met for the first time at Live Portland. Mm-hmm. This was the first time we had met in person. Yep. And I believe it was your first live event that you had covered because the only one before that was live London. So how did you find yourself covering live? Why were you there? Yeah. So, I mean, I know I'm prone to hyperbole, but you know, live is the the biggest thing to happen to pro golf since Tiger Woods joined, you know, joined the tour 20 some years ago. Uh, it's been incredibly polarizing. And because of that, we've seen just incredible interest in it with our coverage of it early on. I didn't, I think I thought there'd be interest, but not to the, to the level that we've seen. I mean, it's near, you know, major interest as far as the, the, the discussion that's going around it for us. And that's, that carried out through, through the rest of 2022. Now we saw so much discussion around live, not necessarily what was going on on the course, but a lot of the stuff that was going on off the course, you know, what players are joining, what's Greg saying about Jay Monahan? What's Jay Monahan saying about Greg Norman? It was all the discussion around it, but not so much on the course. And that really carried out as far as, you know, player movement and everything that was happening. And we just sort of stuck with it. And we figured, look, if, if we're going to be involved in talking about professional golf, you know, whether you like it or not, these are professional golfers. This is still professional golf. And we thought it's a story that, that had to be covered. And I think we've done a, we've done a pretty good job about doing that. Obviously we've got a lot of the news reporting. We've got a b- bunch of columns. If you've read any of Eamon Lynch's stuff about what he said about live, I won't speak for him or his thoughts or anything. <laughs> How does he feel about but, live? No, yeah, yeah, Eamon, yeah. Eamon, Eamon, what you're referring to is that Eamon has been very critical of live from so. the jump, yeah. but through an opinion column. Whereas what you're responsible for typically in Golf Week's coverage of Live is kind of more of the fact-based reporting, on-site reporting, that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely, yeah. A lot of what we, a lot of our our thoughts going into it was, all right, we'd want to, a lot of people aren't going to be able to go to these events because they're scattered all throughout the country or all throughout the world. So we wanted to put people at these Live events. So my job was basically to go and, all right, let's write about what you see, which was a lot of fun for me. It's something I haven't really gotten a a lot to do, uh, especially in golf. Um, my, My past at USA Today, I got to do a little bit more stuff like that. But with golf tournaments, it's a lot of, all right, let's go write about what's happening on the course. Let's go write about the players and stuff. And this, there's just so much more involved in it. And it was a lot of fun to go out to those events and, and really see it firsthand. 
Did you ever have any feelings of conflict about covering live events as golf events? Did you think that through when you were reporting this stuff out? Because there there is an argument out there that reporting on live as a golf event is exactly what live wants. You're playing into their hands. You're playing into the hands of the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, which backs live. And there's a feeling out there among some people that reporting just on the golf is is kind of not the right move. So did you think that through for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, there was a, a lot of those, a lot of those talks, a lot of those conversations with myself, with my family, with editors, with other people, you know, like you walking around the course talking about it, talking to other media members, seeing what they think. But like, whether, like, like I said earlier, whether we like it or not, this is professional golf, and I think that you can kind of toe that line of, you know, carrying, you know, carrying the water for for live and just doing what they want you to do and talk about the golf while also still talking about what's going on behind the scenes, knowing that this is a a golf entity, a golf league now that is fully 100% backed by Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, the public investment fund. You know, we make sure that we keep mentioning that. And, you know, I, I think I've been doing a pretty good job to pat myself on the back because if I look in my Twitter mentions, I'm either a PGA tour stand one day or I'm just carrying the water for live golf the next day. You know, it's, it's, it, people are so opinionated on it all. Um, but I think that there, there's, it's important to talk about what's going on behind the scenes, but also still talking about what's going on with the golf because they got some guys. They got some really important players and some really big name players, and there's still a lot of interest in what they're doing. But I think there's 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 definitely a way you can do both, um, covering the golf while also still you know noting what's actually going on behind the scenes. And uh, granted, that, that, I guess that's up to your opinion on whether on you actually believe that Liv really wants to and cover your ears, grow the game, or whether this is all just one big sports washing effort for the uh, the kingdom. So when you started covering Liv at Portland what was kind of your intention in going out there and finding stories, you know, compared to a, say a PGA tour event or a DP world tour event, how is your approach different in just looking for things to report on at a live event? Or is it similar? I think in, in a lot of ways it's, it's similar once the tournament gets started. Uh, but those early days, it's completely different. Those, some of those press conferences were just, were just unreal. the, the animosity from from one side to the other, uh, just getting they, they, a lot of the guys were real touchy and try to talk around things, and it it, it changed from event to event. But I think the, the my thought going into it was I need to go into this with the most open mind possible. Sure, I can have my own thoughts, I can have my own opinions going on in the back of my head, but in order to successfully do my job, I wanted to tell the story of what was actually happening at these events. So that meant talking to the players, asking you know directly, why did you join? What were the issues that you did that that you went through in, in joining? What did you think about? What did you discuss? It was talking to the live officials themselves. I talked to a bunch of them and straight up asked them, you know, did you have any reservations given the the, the funding from the public investment fund and all of that? I, I talked to as many people as I could to get their opinions to try and, you know, have the the most clear cut thought of what was actually going on. And, you know, it's a lot of people, it seemed like they were genuine. A lot of it, you could kind of tell they were just given the talking points for, for what they were supposed to say in order to, you know, make the make the criticisms a bit less, but I, I just went into it with the, the most clear open mind as possible to try and just say, all right, what is actually going on at these events? Mm -hmm. Now, what actually went on at the live Portland event during the press conferences were some pretty tense moments between the players and the media. Yeah. You and I were both in the room for the now infamous, I guess it was Pat Perez, Brooks Kepka, 
and there was a third wheel there, right? Was it Abe Answer or somebody who was I, – I, I don't exactly oh, remember who remember the who. third person was. But Pat Perez and, and Brooks Kepka came out you know, with some real fire. And uh, with uh, they had different attitudes. Pat Perez seemed more angry to me. Brooks yeah. Kepka seemed more kind of sullen. And uh, and so, you know, as you were seeing that press conference, uh, what was going through your head? Like, you know, how do you report on a golf pre- press conference that gets that tense? Because usually they don't. Right. I've, I've never been a part of anything like that before. I've never witnessed anything like that. And I've been doing this for for a decade now and I've never seen anything come close to how. Um, how tense that was. Like I, I was not that I was nervous to ask a question, but I was definitely kind of worried about, all right, like, is, you know, is this going to turn into a thing? Am I going to, is one of these guys going to try and make a headline out of me just from asking a question? And it's just, it's, it's really tough to, to take the guys seriously when, you know, former, you know, white house press secretary, Ari Fleischer is standing 10 feet off the podium, <laughs> writing down every single question and answer that was given and staring complete and total daggers into anybody who asked anything that wasn't golf. I mean, I asked, I asked the guys, um, oh, it was uh, Patrick Reed was in that, was in that, uh, press was he conference the third as well. guy? Oh yeah. You're, I, you're right about that. And he was, and he came off as the most level headed. That's the of craziest that thing. And the, the day before, Bryson DeChambeau, or, or later on that day, when the two most normal press conferences that you yes. have are Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau, something is going either wrong or just it, it, it's it's unlike anything we've covered before because that was not how it went on the tour. But I mean, I asked the guys, look, how much media training? I see this guy standing right here. You've hired his PR firm. I straight up asked him, how much training have you gotten to deal with the difficult questions about the Saudi funding as well as leaving from the tour? And Brooks did his old, I mean, none unless you want to give it yourself and hit me with a thanks <laughs> chief on the way out. And it's like, it's, it, I'm just asking a question, man. Like if you, if the answer is none, the answer is none. That's all I'm looking for. But I find it incredibly hard to believe that these guys weren't getting trained left and right, given how the first round of press conferences in London went to those just a couple of weeks later with the guy standing right next to the podium. He was right there taking down notes. I just don't see how they could think that we weren't going to ask about that. And that's what happens when you do ask those kind of serious questions is you don't really get much of an answer. Or if you do, it's, it's kind of a joke, right? That was a great question. Uh, do, do you have, have you gotten media training? I thought that got really to the heart of some issues there. Now you ended up covering most of or all of the live events that took place in the U.S. for the yeah. rest of the year, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you notice, this is something I picked up on, but I wasn't at the rest of the events. Did you notice a kind of decrease in the electricity in the press conferences? And did you notice some decrease in the number of uncomfortable questions that the press was asking the players as the season went on? Yeah, the only other time that I saw it truly get that tense was either when a new player joined and they got the same round of questions of why did you join? Did the did the Saudi you know did, did the money have any have any play in it? Those are the only times I ever saw it get that. And then as well in Bedminster, when a lot of the local journalists were talking about the 9/11 attacks and the 9/11 family groups that were doing. Uh, there are different protests throughout the area. They had a, a TV advertisement. I'm pretty sure they had a protest nearby at the club. Um, those were the only other times I ever saw it get even even close to that tense. But at the same time, we can only ask these guys those questions so many times before they completely shut us down and stop talking to us. Or, I mean, what's, what's the point in us asking these same questions if we're just going to get the same answers? You know, there's the argument of, well, you still keep asking it because it's the answer you want to get. I understand that. But also, I 
the the amount of access that you get to these players is so different than the amount of access that you get at other professional golf events. And you need, and the one thing I learned is you need to use that time wisely for you to be able to do your job the right way. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's something you have to learn along the way. And it's a decision that I made. There were other people that still tried to ask those questions and they got, they got zipped up pretty quickly. But, um, it, it, for me, it was really just a matter of maximizing the time with the players that we had because it is so few and far between. In what sense was the access at live events less than the access that you might normally get at a PGA tour or other major tour event? Yeah, it normally tour events, press conferences start on Tuesday and Wednesday, and you'll get the guys up there for anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes and you get them solo, right? And you can basically ask whatever you want. And the the, the floor is open at live events. I've never seen a one-on-one interview with a player ever. There's always two or three guys up there. Uh, even in the flash areas after, if, if there is a, if it's a set media time and there's like a little pin where they, for those who don't know what a flash area is, there's a little pin where they bring you in and they got the microphones all set up and it's outside of the main press area. But that's kind of like the free flowing area where you can pull guys in and ask them at most tour events. You can request the, you can request from the media reps to be, Hey, I want to talk to player X, player a player B, and they'll bring them in for a few questions that assuming they didn't shoot like eight over that day and they weren't completely tanking their round. You can get a little bit more of them, but with live, they would bring in the people who, who were scheduled. And a lot of that was the new guys or the, you know, the, the most, the more famous players. And after that you could get a guy, but only if they said yes to speak with you. You know, I got, I talked to Paul Casey for a while after the Bedminster event because he was willing to talk, but I went up to Ian Poulter and basically told, you know, was told to go play in traffic. And he was like, no, I don't need to go. I don't need to talk to you unless it's in a set media thing. So, uh, it's, it's just so different in the amount of access you get and how open they are to, to, to speak with you. Very few athletes ever want to speak to the media but uh, it's even more amped up with the uh, with the live tour. So Adam, when you think of live in 2022, are there particular moments, whether on the course or off, that stand out for you? Yeah, a lot of them were off the course, obviously, because that's where, like I said earlier, that's where a lot of the the interest was. Um, I mean, insert press conference here. I mean, I there, there's so many of those I will I will never forget. We've already you know beat the the Brooks one with a to a dead horse already, but uh, a lot of them were were those. Um, the London one was just so awkward and uncomfortable. And I think that really set the tone for how it was going to go. Um, one of them wasn't even a live event, but Sergio at the Wells Fargo when he was saying, I can't wait to leave this tour and basically <laughs> tipping his hand. That was one of my favorite moments of the season. Cause I was standing, I was at that event cause it was in DC back where I used to live. And I was standing no more than, you know, 10, 20, 30 yards away from him. And I heard it looking around and did he, did he just say that? Like, is, and I looked around and like, no, he just, so so the, the, he was saying it loudly that enough one. that you were able to hear it. It wasn't just yeah. the television cameras and microphones that were picking him up. He he basically the situation was without going too in depth on it is that he he wasn't getting a ruling that he wanted to get, and because he yeah. was having trouble with the rules officials at this event, he decided that was the moment to declare this is part of the reason why I'm yeah. leaving for live. I'm fed up with not being protected as a player on this tour. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the clock being started on him searching for a lost ball and all that. It was, yeah, it, 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 it all blew, you know, ballooned out and just kind of blew up there. But um, that, that was a big one that really showed, you know, these, you know, these guys were thinking about it. They were playing in PGA tour events and they knew that they were going, I couldn't imagine keeping that in or, or, or having all of that going on and still trying to go out and compete for, for four whole days at a golf tournament. But that was a big one. Um, I will say, you know, g- giving, 
giving credit where credit's due. I've been, I, I'm obviously critical of some of the things that Liv's done. I thoroughly enjoyed the team championship in Miami. I thought it was a unique format. It's kind of wonky with the the different rules with match play and stroke play switching here and there. It was kind of tough to follow at times, even for us who were who were there doing it all. But it was a really good crowd. They had a lot of really really good, you know, really knowledgeable golf fans out there, and the the play delivered for 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 most of the time. Obviously, everybody knows the four aces, and they went on to win. But uh, it was it was cool to see them kind of deliver and, and and show up when it mattered. And you know, Pat Perez's press conference where he was like, "I'm paid. I don't give a damn." After the end, when everyone was kind of ripping him for for not playing too well all the year, those are the moments that stick out. And a lot of it was just it was just so divisive. And, and, and unfortunately, those are the moments that stick out. A couple great golf shots here and there, and some stuff that you saw. But unfortunately, a lot of it was all of was focused around the the negative conversation around live and not so much the the golf shots. But hoping that changes here this year. Well, based on just talking for a moment about the positives for Liv, uh, from Liv's perspective, what some of the positives out of the first season were, just generally speaking, not particular moments or events, but generally speaking, what do you think were Liv's big successes from its perspective in its first season? What were the impressive things that it kind of accomplished? Yeah, I, I one live official kind of explained it to me that, you know, early on is they're they're building the plane while it's in flight and they didn't crash and burn. That's a success. The fact that they were able to hold eight events six, and, and do it and broadcast all of it with very few shortcomings as far as the production standpoint from a technical side. That's a success. The fact that they were able to do that nine months ago, we weren't sure if they were going to be able to to fill a field with with quality enough players, let alone host eight of those events including a team championship that pretty much went off without a hitch. Um, I thought that was a success. They signed a top five player in the world with Cam Smith. That's a massive success. Getting getting players, and not only players, but but characters, I think was important. You get guys like Phil who can rile people up and people have a lot of opinions on. Uh, Bryson, Brooks, all these guys were characters in the game, but getting DJ early on, I think was one of their big, biggest successes. Looking back in life, as soon as a cool kid does something, other people are going to follow. That's what and that that's been true since from elementary school all the way to adulthood, and it worked out with Live the same way. DJ went, showed that all right, some of these guys are actually going to go. They can actually get some talent, and others followed. I think that was a huge success for them as well. Um, but I, th- those are those are the big ones. The fact that they were able to to keep the keep the train moving, keep the plane in flight, and be able to show that hey, we've got a product. Now it's just a matter of commercializing it and making some of the money back on the hundreds of millions, maybe even billions that they've spent on this project already. Now, what you cited just at the end there is potentially one of Liv's big shortcomings in 2022, just its inability to make anywhere near what it had invested in its product. What are some of the main other ways that you think Liv fell short in 2022? And what are some of the things that they're probably working on for this year? Uh, the, the, the ones that jump out were obviously not getting a TV deal at first in the OWGR points. Every single player that we talked to, every official that we talked to, Phil included, was the, was the most the most vocal about it was where we believe we're going to get points. So I don't know where that disconnect came from. If they all just believed Greg, when he said, Hey, you guys are going to get points. We're going to get this figured out. We've got plans or whether they all just believe that there's no way that we're not going to be able to get points. I, I don't know where that disconnect came from, but 
it seemed like they were all very dead set that they were going to get official world golf ranking points. That still hasn't happened. TV deal didn't happen, which I still think having a free broadcast on YouTube was probably one of the best things that they could have done because so many of the younger audience they're trying to get to are cord cutting. YouTube's free. Everyone's got it on their phone. Everyone's got it on their tablet. It's loaded into most televisions as well. It was easy to find and it was easy to get to. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to be able to do that with the CW this year, but that's more to talk on that later. But the, the, the biggest issue that I had and the biggest shortcoming was the broadcast itself. It was just awful. If, if anybody watched it, the, the on-course reporting, I don't want to, to rip on the people too much, but Sue Ann didn't know people's names. She stuttered. The questions weren't very insightful. It all seemed very, just very surface value. I mean, Jerry Fultz just completely punting and just, just laying down and opening up about, oh, live is great. Live is this, live is that. And that was that was un- unfortunate to see because I really liked a lot of his coverage that he used to do on the golf channel. And then, I mean, Arlo White just should have stayed calling soccer because you can't fake golf <laughs> knowledge. And man, he was so good at calling soccer. I used to love listening to him call the Premier League in the mornings on Saturdays and Sundays for NBC. You just can't fake soccer or, or, or you can't fake golf knowledge. And that was re- readily apparent throughout. I'm hoping that they they learned something from from year one and they'll they'll, they'll pick it up in year two. But just a lot of the time, the broadcast was was very tough to watch and, and very even more tough to listen to. Now, something that I thought that they didn't really succeed in in 2022 was escaping from the story about the league's connection to Saudi Arabia. You yeah, know, because that remained a big story, as I believe it should have all season long mm-hmm. and as I believe it should this year, because that's part of the reality of this organization. But do you think that Liv felt that it could escape from that story more quickly than it has? Or do you think they're not that naive? I don't think they're that. I, I, I think that's the, that, that's it. They, they're not that naive. I, what are you supposed to do, you know, right? You know, what what should they have done to not do that, other than the fact that they had their live to give, where they're giving away tons of money to charity, which is great. That's there's nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. The tour does the same thing. Live does the same thing. It's great that they're giving back to the communities and the areas which they're hosting tournaments. That's that's all well and good. Fully supportive of that as they should. There's no hiding from where the money's coming from. And until they can get their this team franchise model that 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 they want to do, they have gone all in on the team aspect. I don't think they're going to be able to get away from from the public investment fund and all of that until they can truly prove that there are other ways to bring in money aside from the public investment fund. There's there's no hiding from that. There's no getting around that. And I don't think people are going to let that let that get washed away under, under, under the rug or get swept under the rug. That's the definition of sports washing, right? But I don't think that they're gonna, I don't think the, the media or others will let that happen. It's too big of a talking point. It's too big of a divisive issue. This episode is brought to you by Fat Cork. So Fat Cork is all about champagne. They work exclusively with small family-run champagne producers who grow their own grapes. These are the kinds of champagne families who have passed their craft down from generation to generation. The way it works basically is that Fat Cork picks the champagne up directly from France and ships it in temperature-controlled packaging to a cave in Seattle. This is a small operation. It's run by a close-knit team. One of the founders is a big golf nut whose grandmother is actually from Bandon, Oregon. And so Bandon Dunes played a a big role in this founder's golf life. I think that's pretty cool. 
The heart of Fat Cork's business is its champagne club, where customers have great champagne shipped directly to their doors. There are three club tiers. You've got Weekenders, which is four bottles per shipment. You've got Frequent Fizzers, which is six bottles. And you've got Merrymakers, which is 12 bottles per shipment. And as somebody who has been recently naming things and branding things, I really appreciate the quality of those names for those champagne clubs. I got a Fat Cork shipment of three bottles just this past week. It was in time for Valentine's Day. Three bottles. I'm really looking forward to digging in. You know, I am not a bright man. Uh, and Valentine's Day has not traditionally been my forte. Ever, ever since Valentine's Day has been something I've been expected to celebrate with somebody, I have not done a good job. I just haven't. And uh Having this champagne come to me and having something in place just provided enormous uh, relief for me. <laughs> and now I know I just need to go get some chocolate. And on Valentine's Day, which is today, by the way, uh, we can just open a bottle of champagne and we've got a real celebration going. So anyway. You can definitely order individual bottles from fatcork.com. There are gift sets and tasting kits. And if you use the code GOLF, you can get free shipping, which is a big deal when it comes to champagne. You can get a handwritten gift note. And if you call or email, a real live human will help you. Super cool company here. Fat Cork, check them out. All right. So, you know, I think the conversation about live in 2023 starts with what happened at live Miami and part of the show there, aside from the team championship, this was in late October, end of October. Part of the show there was live executives presenting to the media and presumably to some other people what their plans were for 2023. What do you recall of that? presentation and of some of the discourse about what Liv was saying it was going to try to do in the offseason and then this year. Yeah, so there was a I was lucky enough to be a part of a select group of 9, 10, 11 maybe people to to sit down with a few Live officials and have them lay out what their plan is from a business standpoint and and how they see themselves becoming profitable in the future. It's funny enough looking back at that. I've actually been thinking about this a lot over the last few months. The three main people who were involved in that discussion, two of them are gone now. Only one of them still there. The COO of Tool Coastal, he's gone. Their chief media officer, Jonathan Grella, he was there, kind of set a lot of it up. He's now gone. The only guy who's who's still left is I, I'm and I'm blanking on the guy's name and I was trying to think of it earlier, but he's from Performance 54, the you know consulting and marketing firm that's kind of been behind live this entire way. Um, he's the only guy left, right? And it's, it's just funny looking back at that to see all of these guys were talking about the future and three months later, two of them aren't even there. But like I said earlier, they are going all in on this team aspect. They think that this is how they can deliver. They think this is how they can commercialize their product. And it basically, they look at the NBA, the NFL, MLB, a lot of other professional sports in America and that franchise model of that being a way for them to be profitable. They can bring in team sponsors. They can have equity in teams. The way it's going to work is Liv is going to hold 75% of the equity and it's, the players themselves will get 25. How they split that up, that's that, that's for them and the team captains to to do and, the, and whoever's going to be the principals or owners of these teams to figure out on their own. But starting this year, the teams are going to be responsible for paying for 
a lot of a lot of the players. It's it's not going to be on live as much anymore. It's going to be on the individual teams, and I think that's going to cut into a lot of early profits. And I'm just not sure how these teams are going to get sold. Who's going to show interest? Then you know the way they kind of broke it down was with you know if a team is worth you know a hundred million dollars, this is how it breaks out. I don't know where they're going to be getting those kind of valuations for any of this. I don't see how any of these teams are going to be worth even a tenth of that, let alone that much. But it's all based on the team and the teams making money and through sponsorships and and whatever they win on the course. But that's a lot of what it what it came down to was we believe in the team aspect and here's why. Mm-hmm. Now it's just a matter of seeing whether or not they can actually sell these teams and whether they can actually make a profit off of this format. So they're going all in on the Range Goats as a, a franchise. That's that's the future that they're sort of envisioning is that somebody is going to pay big to be the sponsor of the Range Ghosts, Range Goats or the Four Aces or uh, uh, whatever other team. That's not going to be so much about these centralized sort of movements of live as an organization. The teams are kind of going to be the emphasis as they are in organizations like the NFL and the NBA. Is that sort of the general idea that they were pushing? No doubt. Yeah. They think that, you know, the, you know, live and, you know, the public investment fund will fall into the background and the focus will be on the aces. It'll be on, you know, Ripper. It'll be on the range goats. It'll be on those teams and those players. And they firmly believe that they've got the product to do it. And that's what a lot of this came down to. Year one wasn't about being profitable. Year one was about proving that they've got a product. They did that. Whether you like it or not, they proved they've got a product and that, that they can sell how much they sell it for and how much they can actually commercialize that product. That's for years two, three, four, five, and whatever we see down the line here. But that's, uh, that's what I think a lot of the, the misunderstanding with live is all oh, these guys didn't make any money in year one. They weren't trying to, this was their investment to shake it up, to disrupt professional golf and now prove that they've, that they can hold out a share of the market and maybe even take over in a few years, depending on how it all plays out with the court cases and what players go and how much valuation they can actually get out of these teams and franchises. But then, and you talked about this earlier, some of these executives who were presenting this idea to the media in late October, by the beginning of this year, by mid-December, in fact, in uh, Atul Kosla's case, who is Liv's chief operating officer. And, you know, if you talk to anybody who was in the know about Liv, this guy was a really important person in this organization and, and to a great extent, the brains behind the franchise model that Liv was going for Atul Kosla by mid-December, no longer with the organization. That news came out. That was six weeks after Live Miami, this team championship. And so it happened fairly quickly. You know, other executives have left the organization as well. Jonathan Grella, you mentioned, uh, Majid Al-Sor, who is, uh, it was obviously a very important person in the uh, public investment fund and a, a liaison with Liv and, and a big connector in that relationship. He is stepping back. He's still on a board of some kind, but not, Whatever that uh, means. you know, yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know what that means either. Um, but not day to day involved in live. There's been a big shakeup at the executive level in this organization. And so what, what do you think that means? How do you interpret what happened during the off season within the leadership at live? From the outside looking in, it looks like there's chaos in the C-suite, right? Like it looks like there is just their people are leaving. People are, you know, whether it's under on their own free will or whether they're getting kind of pushed out or kicked out, that's, it, it depends on who you talk to for, for, for what kind of answer you get with that. But 
directly, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact because the more and more that I think about it and I see it, I'm starting to think that the Performance 54 folks have been running the show the entire time. And they were, look, I know a lot of the Fried Egg listeners are big in sync fans, so they'll get this reference. The Bye 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 music video, right? They're getting all puppeted and marionetted and geppettoed around. They brought in these industry execs to kind of puppet them around, use their expertise, and then as soon as they don't need them anymore, they know what to do, kick them out, start fresh, clean house, and trim the fat. And I think that's what they did. They brought the guys in, used them for used them for their knowledge, showed and learned how to get a get a golf league off the ground. Now that they know how to run it, they they they're they're trimming the fat and going with the most efficient way possible. And a lot of that is going to cost cost people their jobs. But you know a you know a tool was was very big with, like I said, the chief operating officer running the day to day and how everything goes. Jonathan Grella, a lot of people would say that he was used for his DC connections with the antitrust lawsuits and how to and how to connect with people on the hill. Now that a lot of that has gone south with with Greg Norman's visit a couple months ago, you know, there's really <laughs> no need for it well. anymore. Did not go well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's granted that's that's you know connecting a lot of a lot of wires and a lot of strings and stuff. But I, I genuinely believe that I think the Performance 54 folks have been the one that have been doing it, and now that they know what to do, they can cut out a lot of the people who might not be as integral to seasons two, three, four, and five as they were to season one. Okay, so then what is Performance 54? Some people might not even be familiar with uh, this agency, but uh, tell me about what Performance 54 is and what their involvement in Live is. Yeah, so they've kind of been there from the start. They kind of had, they kind of took a took the idea of 54 holes, shotgun starts, the team aspect of it, and ran with it. Whether you think that the Premier Golf League had the idea first or they had the idea first, that's for for them to figure out. But they have been with Live the entire time. They have been there from the start. They're basically a, a PR and marketing agency for for golf and sports, and they've had this idea and they've been the ones that have been pushing it through. They've been the ones that have been operating behind the scenes to do a lot of this, where you know the the public investment fund has been the money behind it. They've been the the kind of brains of the operation and and, and working it all from there. Um, how directly involved they are, not sure. Very very tough to get any sort of any sort of ruling on that. But they've been the ones that have kind of been pushing this and shepherding this along the entire way. And they represent some other personalities in the golf space, right? I don't want to name anybody who's not associated with yeah. Performance 54, so I don't want to rely completely on my memory here. But I'm pretty sure, almost 100% certain, that Rick Shields, the YouTube personality, is represented at least in part by Performance 54. So this is sort of another aspect of what the agency is doing. It's it's behind a lot of lives moves, but it also represents various golf entertainment in people. general. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah, golf uh, yeah. entertainment in general. It's 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 marketing and consulting for golf entertainers, influencers, whatever you want to call it. It's they're a PR and marketing firm and a consulting firm that works that works in the golf entertainment space. And obviously Liv is the the, the the new, you know, big prize for them and their new big project. And by the way, if Rick Shields is not involved with Performance 54, I will insert a note here because, you know, I'm a real journalist, Adam. I don't know if you know that about me, but, uh, you know, deep down inside, I may not act like a real journalist. I may not do work that looks like journalism, but uh, but I am deep down inside. So I I'll, disagree I'll, with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll put in a correct. You're, you're completely right. <laughs> my, my tenure at Live Portland showed how, how little of a journalist <laughs> I am. 
Um, but <laughs> in any case, uh, so we've got this movement uh, within the leadership at Live. But I think you're making a really interesting point, one that I hadn't considered before, that there's a constant there with Performance 54 mm-hmm. and that, you know, this is not necessarily the disintegration of an organization that we're seeing. Um, it's a restructuring. It, it is. Yeah. It's a restructuring. Yeah. But, you know, people often use that term when an organization is disintegrating. So uh, well, you know, t- take that how you will. It d- d- depends on how you want to look at it. Depends on <laughs> words are words, right? <laughs> depends on which ones you want to use. All right. So another factor this offseason, a big thing that people were talking about in November, December was who is Liv going to sign? Who are the new Liv players going to be? And the offseason went by. You know, Liv is going to start season two coming up here in late February. And there have been two significant signings that I've seen, at least, and you can correct this or add to this. But Mito Pereira, it's been reported that he is going to be with Liv from the beginning of the season, though reporting around his exit from the PGA Tour has been really touch and go like you know he, he's been there there have been reports that he's going and then he hasn't and he stuck around for the president's cup but it seems like there are reliable there's reliable journalism out there that he is going to live in this new season and then sebastian munoz who is a pga tour winner um mito Pereira, by the way if people don't recognize that name he almost won the pga championship last year that's going to be a scene in the netflix documentary that's coming up and we're talking about on this podcast later in this week but young very talented player friends with joaquin neiman he's got some buddies on live uh and then and then bassi munoz those are the two signings that i saw this is probably not what live was hoping for no, and it's it's fair to it's fair to point the criticism their way too because we were told at that meeting that we talked about earlier that the schedule will be out by the end of the year, rosters will be set by the end of the year. We're two weeks away, a week and a half away from the first event. We don't know who's on what team. We know the team names and we know the captains. That's it. That's a, that that was a massive loss for Liv. I think this off season and the the one thing that they did really well last year that slow drip that leaking faucet of news they stayed in the conversation. Not always for the best of reasons, but they stayed in the conversation. They have been dead quiet for the last three months up until that release last week with the with the team names and all of that. And that was something. But it's the fact that they've only gotten those two players, maybe, then that's all still off of other other reporting. I haven't been able to confirm any of that. Agents are keeping it quiet. Liv's keeping it even quieter for their big release. You would think that they... They had plans of getting more big names. Now, maybe that's why it's taken this long to get the rosters out there. Maybe they're still haggling with a few guys over contracts and numbers. Maybe there were some players who wanted to play in these designated events and really give it a look to see how different the tour is. I think that could be a reason why this is all delayed. Obviously, like you said, it was speculation, but the, the names they've had circled, John Rom, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Cameron Young, those are all guys who were in the conversation beforehand that haven't gone. Almost all of them to a T have come out and explained why they haven't gone. Even Cam Young, he's been the most open about his interest in Live last year and how and why he did consider it and what he was looking into. Now, granted, whether they get those guys or not, no direct sourcing, don't know, not reporting anything. Yeah. True who's to say for who's actually going to end up going. But you got to think it's been a big loss for them to not get any of those big names like the DJs, the Brooks Kepkas, the Brysons, the Cam Smiths at the end of last year. That said... 
if if Mito and, and, and Bassi Munoz go, those are two pretty solid players to bring in for what they're trying to do. They're, they've got young players and they're, they've got a real strong contingent of, of Latin American players and, and Spanish-speaking players over there that shows that they're a global tour. And I think that's only going to serve them well as they try and grow throughout other countries. But man, as far as it goes to, to say signing players in the offseason... We were told there was going to be this sort of like similar to soccer and, you know, European European soccer, that transfer window of this three months, four months in between tournaments, players are going to be moving. There's going to be trades. We're going to see that. I saw one report of that early on. It was, what, two days after the event? DJ got rid of, um, uh, who was it? Taylor Gooch and brought in, I'm blanking on the guy. Was it, was it Hudson Swaffer? No, Peter Uline. Brought in Peter Uline and got rid of Taylor. See, it's, it, you can't think of it. So much stuff happens. You can't you can't keep up with all the player movement. Baffling trade, by the way. I mean, come on. Yeah, just right, you yeah. know, from a pure uh, golf skill standpoint. No no yeah, shade but, on Peter Uline, who's much better at golf than I am. Fin- but Taylor Gooch is it. Finished third in the money for Liv last year, so he got something cooking with these 54-hole starts and no cuts. But it's we thought that we would see that for weeks on end. And we got absolutely none of it. I think that's going to be a massive loss for Liv. They definitely left the conversation and they're going to try and push their way into it now and and build it up for these last week and a half before their first event. But I think it was a massive loss not to get more people and not to stay in the conversation these last few months. A big way that Liv stayed in the conversation last year was by signing new players on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Yeah. And f- it, these rumors going around also that that even if they didn't sign new players, just having the rumor out there that, you know, uh, Brooks Kepka was going to, you know, was going to sign after the first live event like th- that was a big discussion point in the golf world. One remarkable thing in December and January was how little people were talking about live and its players, how out of the spotlight so many of these players were. And that's got to start to be meaningful to some of the players who play for this league, right? That if Liv isn't able to find ways to stay in the news cycle, then some of these players are going to probably suffer for that and become less valuable to sponsors, et cetera. I wonder if that's something that players are thinking about right now, that that I'm just not going to be in the public eye very much if this organization isn't able to, to stay in the news cycle. I think the quick and easy response to that is, well, that, that's what the money's for, right? And that reasoning, that reason covers a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that happens with Liv, you know. But that's what, that's why you get paid all this guaranteed money because you're probably going to lose sponsorship deals. You're not going to get all the opportunities that you got to, to be in the limelight like you would with the tour. At least you won't, you won't get as many opportunities to be in the, in the, in a national international spotlight like that. But I think that's what it comes down to. That's why you took. It's, it's a calculated risk to do it. I'm sure a lot of these guys thought they could you know, dip their, dip their foot in both, in both pools. It's not going to work like that, or at least not until this, this court case gets solved here in the next year. But I, that's, I mean, that's, that's what those guaranteed contracts are for, right? I I think that's the only thing that it comes down to. I'm sure it's going to be an ego check for a lot of these guys, but if you look at them, a lot of the guys were on the, you know, the back end of their, you know, the back nine of their careers to use a bad golf pun as it is, right? It's very few guys are still in their peak marketability, right? So I think that's, but that's going to be a, a deciding factor that a lot of guys are going to have to to make if they're going to join here in the future. These these young amateur players who they're going to try and grab, like they got Eugenio Shikara last year. He he waited out to the fact that look, I'm not going to get starts, but I can get this guaranteed money up front to get my career off and running. That's that that's it's, it's a calculated risk, and whether you think it's going to work out or not hasn't worked out in the short term, but maybe it will in the long term. That's just something we're going to have to wait and see how it plays out with the court cases, unfortunately. So those court cases. 
what's the state of play with the lawsuits between Liv and the PGA Tour right now? What's going on with those? I mean, it seems like things aren't going to get resolved very soon. Yeah. But has there been any movement on that front lately? Very little. Uh, there was some. There's some news came out with some new filings last week. There was a joint motion that was filed. Basically, long story short, and that not to get too deep in the deep in the weeds here, but I've been reading so many court cases, man. I Are like you I'm an, an antitrust now. expert at this point? Is that see? A, I was I, I was pre law for six months, but I think I'm oh. a, I'm, a, I'm I'm a novice now. But yeah, no, it was uh <laughs> the, the the motion went through. Basically, what the tour wants to do is extend the extend the deadlines for not only the trial case, which is going to be in 2024, but also for the discovery period, which is going to be wrapping up here over the next month. I don't know the exact dates off the top of my head, so I don't want to don't want to BS for all the wonderful listeners. But basically, the tour is arguing that we aren't getting any sort of um, response or we're not getting any sort of cooperation from the folks that live, from the folks at the public investment fund. We need to extend the discovery date, and here's why. Liv is arguing that it's going to impact our guys even more if you keep if you keep pushing this off because they don't have access to your event. So he said he said between both sides for arguing whether or not this should get pushed or not. There's going to be some sort of hearing over the next week that the judge is going to listen to to decide on that. But basically, that's what it's going to come down to is just waiting to see whether or not we're going to be able to get a ruling on this. And I think that one judge's opinion is going to have a lot to do with Liv's future. And unfortunately, that's something we're not going to get here for in, until at least 2024, if not even further on. The battle right now with these motions that you're talking about, like at this particular moment, is about discovery, right? Yeah. It is the basic story that Liv is is kind of resistant to participate in discovery. Yeah, the the tour once in, in, in their early parts of discovery, they seem to think that, you know, Majid El Sor and, and the public investment fund are more involved with Liv on the day to day than Liv would like you to let on. As soon as they found that out, they tried to get the public investment fund to be to be more a part of it. They tried to get access to a lot of their files and records and Liv and the public investment fund have been you know, the lawyers have said, we don't want to do that. We don't think we need to do that. And it's going to come down to what the judge says. So it's like you said, it all comes down to discovery. What can we figure out and how quickly can we figure it out? Um, it's going to come down to the judge whether or not they think that Liv is actually going to going to have to put more of the public investment fund out there or whether they can they can hide behind the. I forget what was the sovereign something. I'm blanking on the official term itself. That's so many big words that get thrown around. You know, I'm just I'm just a golf reporter, man. I shouldn't be having to read all these court cases. I didn't sign. I was told there'd be no math and I was told there'd be no law. And I'm getting a lot of those and, these days. And it's no international bummer. relations. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, Majid Al-Sor, you know, it's coming into focus why he might be stepping back from his day-to-day role with Liv. He is clearly in the crosshairs for the PGA Tour's lawyers. Part of their play right now is to really try to expose as much as possible about the inner workings of the public investment fund and of Saudi Arabia's involvement in live. And that's something it's pretty clear that that's something that that live doesn't want, that the public investment fund doesn't want, that Majid al-Sora doesn't want. And so that's that's what's interesting about this stage of the of the court battle between live and the PGA tour, because the bigger questions about who's going to win aren't going to be resolved for, for no. years. 
No, I think I think something you said in there interest there you said there was interesting with the fact that you know this might be why Majidosaur is taking a step back from his from his role and being more on the board. There's one thing I've learned in this last year covering Liv is where there's smoke, there's fire. It might not be exactly true, but there is going to be if if stuff is getting out like this and it, very few things happen with Liv that are coincidental. There's there's there, there's a there's a method to the madness, whether it's a good one or a bad one. There's a reason for the things that they're doing, and a lot of that ends up getting played out. But I would assume you're you're onto something there with with, with why. I imagine might be taking a, a bit of a step back with his at least his public involvement with with what's going on with live so you're saying all of my conspiracy theories are true i'm i'm, Put I'm on glad that foil hat baby i'm here for it <laughs> i'm, glad I'm here hear. for all of it yeah I'm, I'm i'm pointing at all the papers on the wall and and it's all it's all fitting together there's there's this, this beautiful you know, strings between everything yeah, exactly. yeah you're pointing and i'm seeing it all yeah all right so um last week live sort of did like this kind of brand relaunch they had Ooh. revised team logos some of the team names were different they did yeah. this during super bowl week <laughs> they did this during bold waste management bold week. strategy i mean if anything that live does can get buried this was the week for it to be buried but they've got their first event coming up of the year and and maybe there wasn't really another good time to do it but in any case this was a push to put out there this team concept and to prioritize that in people's minds. Um, there's a team called the range goats. Now I, I guess the important question is, are you pro range goats? Do you think that this is a good rebranding? Do you like the logo or, or do you not? I, I, I don't know if it was, if it was your boy, will who pointed out what the range, what the range goats logo might look like. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that one for people to go look at his Twitter account. Cause I'm not sure I want to be talking about that on a public forum, but look, it's, it's funny to laugh at, right? You hear the name and it makes you laugh. Right. But I kind of look at it in the same sense of how many bad minor league baseball names out there. And those That's get right. completely, those get completely just welcomed in like all oh, the, the Myrtle beach Pelicans and all this stuff. You know, I, I, I would, I'm from Akron, Ohio, shout out the Northeast Ohio, uh, three, three Oh people, all my people back in Ohio. They used to be the Akron, the Akron, um, arrows. Now they're the Akron rubber ducks and they renamed the, the ballpark, the tub. Like stuff like that is, it's quirky, it's weird, it's funny. I, that's what I kind of see the range guts as. Bubba tried to give his explanation for it and, and really break it down. I thought that was kind of kind of laughable. You know, the range golfers on a team, GC. That's it's weird. It's 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 different. I'll say it's a hell of a lot better than the cliques and the nibblicks, though. I will say Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like, lean into stuff like this. Yes. Like don't like it, it, it's funny to laugh at, sure. But in Ripper sounds awesome with an Aussie accent too. By the way, I'm all in Ripper. on that one as well. Ripper. Ripper. Yeah, yeah. something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm to be clear, I'm pro range. Like, I think that's exactly what they should be going yes. for if they want to attract interest in the team concept. They should lean into the silliness of it, and leaning into silliness is not something that golf has traditionally done no. very well. And you can see some resistance to that even with Live, even as Live is trying to move in some of these directions with the entertainment aspect of the game. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody has really done something so far that's kind of out there like Bubba doing the range goats and posting videos of himself making goat Tom sounds the Grays, on the driving range. Yeah, I Tom mean, the Grays. it seems like this is exactly what they what they should be doing if they want yeah. to no uh, be on people's minds because nobody's talking about Ma Martin Keimer's cliques. That's just kind of a depressing, lazy name. It's the least you could possibly do. Um, yeah, I, I, I sort of wonder if, if, if performance 54, now that they're, you know, really stepping into more power in this organization, if that's how they're kind of going to try to push the tone 
of the Live Golf League to kind of go for for some of this minor league baseball, you yeah. know, hey, look at us, let's come have fun, if that's going to be the vibe. Yeah, I think there's a line between silly and stupid, and I think the Range Goats are on the silly side. Like, yeah, it's weird, it's different, but that's what Live should be embracing. That's what they should be doing. I mean, if you go to their events – and there, it's I, I, it's what I wrote about in Portland the first time I saw it. It's like it's a festival with a side of golf with like that just happens to be going on near a golf tournament. You go through the fan village. You have people on unicycles juggling. They're even riding around on the course. People in unicycles. You know what? Why? Why it's going on? It's just so crazy and different that I think that instead of trying to have things like the cliques and the niblicks, which are like yeah, veiled references to golf that a lot of people probably don't even understand or know, or the casual fan might not understand and know, something big and bold like that is interesting like the old fireballs logo that was awesome the new one stinks like go back to the old one like, <laughs> the old like one was more cartoonish right exactly it had, it had like, all that's the teeth fun and yeah, yeah the new the one is more eyes subtle. and the yeah. big eyes and all that it's fun it's different it's new like that's what live should be leaning into if they want this audience they want to be additive or they say they want to be additive to what's going on in golf and but it's it seems like some in some ways they support that and in other ways and other things that they do and like, with their schedule, they just completely kick it off to the side and it's like they're not even trying in times, you know? The schedule does sort of feel like that. The 2023 live schedule, which was released toward the end of January, it was promised toward the end of December, came out about a month later. What did you make of the new schedule, if anything? Are there any takes to be had about it? Yeah, I think so. I think there's there's two things that off the bat that I don't like, and that's starting the season and ending the season outside of the U.S. Now, this is all looking at this is looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, assuming that there is a legitimate, like I said, grow the game, cover your ears purposes to do this. And it's not just sports washing the 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 like I said earlier, the event in Miami was incredibly well attended. It was the, the golf fans were, were there. They showed out. And it was they, they were knowledgeable. They were clapping. They they followed the big names. They were they they showed out. They really did. And it was interesting. It was an intriguing format. They're not gonna have that kind of turnout. They're not gonna have that kind of vibe in King Abdullah Economic City for the final. The fact that they're starting off their season in Mexico and not in the US, I think is weird. They're going to a resort that's not gonna have probably a bunch of fans out there and it's not gonna be easily easy to travel to and people to get to. Um, I say that from someone who, who who's on his way there and was was booking trips to get there. I don't, it's not easy to get to. I think, sure, they want to be global. I get that. They want to show that they're a global league. That's, that's all fine and dandy. Their bread is going to be buttered here in the U.S., and the fact that they are starting or ending their tournament here I think is going to be a huge detriment to what, to what they're doing as far as the schedule. Look, they're going to another Trump course. Everybody could have seen that one coming after what they did for the first two. Um, I will say the Bedminster event last year was more of a Trump rally than a golf tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one, of, one live person was wearing a red hat with white, with white writing that said, make golf fun again and the make America great again thing. It's it's that that was bad, but it it wasn't like that in Miami. President Trump showed up for his for his pro am, talked to a few people, and then got out of the way and let the golf do the talking. I don't think that the golf is going to be able to do the talking in Mexico and in Saudi Arabia like it would here in the U.S. When you can have an actual fan base around here to be for those. So th- those are the things that really jumped out for me. And then the last part, though I'm kind of rambling here, was the fact that they're still going to places that are starved for for professional golf. They're going to Oklahoma. They're going to West Virginia. They're going to DC. Same thing they did when they went to, to your neck of the woods in Oregon last right. year yeah. that they, they went to places where people, I, I talked to fans there and they said, we don't care about the money. 
because this might be the last chance I get to watch Phil Mickelson play golf again. Some of these people have been Phil fans for the last 20 years and they never get to see him play. So when he comes to town, of course they're going to go watch him. Like I understand that. That that all makes sense to me from the casual fan perspective. And I think they're going to lose a lot of that with the way that they're going about setting up their schedule, at least from the start and the finish aspect of it. One of the major challenges for Liv going forward seem will seem to be how global of a league they truly want to be or that they truly can be because they, they've come out from the beginning. Greg Norman, this is his big initiative, right? He's been trying to make a world tour happen for 30, maybe 40 years at this point. This has been his passion for a long, long time. And part of his rhetoric around live is that this can be more of a global tour. Part of the reason that a lot of non-American players went to live is that they were hopeful that they could play in their home countries and that they could be part of a tour that wasn't so U.S. centric. But the problem is that most of the big international stars in golf right now are American. That's not to say that it's all of them or that it should be that way, but that's just sort of how it is. And the players that they're going for, <laughs> you know, they're going for Xander Shoffley. They're going for Patrick Cantlay. They want these players to be in their league. And if they play most of their events outside of the U.S., these players are not going to want to participate in it. And you see some of that give and take with the schedule. It's finishing outside the U.S. and ending outside the U.S., but most of the events are still in the U.S. There's only yeah. one tournament in Australia where I think that some of the Australian players and maybe Greg Norman himself were envisioning more than one event in Australia, potentially, ideally. Um, and so that's going to be something for them to work out, right? Are, how much of a global league are we and can we be given the players that we want to attract, that we have to attract in order to get the attention that we need? Yeah. And looking at the 23 schedule, it's, you know, they're going to, like you said, they're going to Australia. They've got a lot of Australians. They're going to Spain. They've got a strong Spanish contingent now as well. They're going to Mexico. They've got a strong Latin American contingent down there for, and, and a, a couple of Mexican players as well. They want these guys to basically have like national open, a, a national open, but the live version of it, right? They want to be able to host events in the countries where they've got players. They're, they're they'll, they'll be in London where they've got, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of English players. It's, they want to be able to have that. They're going to Oklahoma. They've got a bunch of Oklahoma State players. It's like there, there's a method to the madness for what they're doing. And you laugh, but it's it's true though. Like it, and it's it's funny to laugh at and see. But I, I, granted, I've heard a lot about that course in 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 Tulsa. That's probably not the greatest. But you you know more about more I, about that than I will. So so I'll, I'll leave that to you. I, but, I haven't been there myself, but yeah, w yeah, word has not been positive about the not, quality not great. of the course. <laughs> not great. Um, but I think a lot of that is 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 planned. They want to go to places where their guys feel comfortable, and they want to go to places that are starved. And I think they've done that. And that's that's a feather in their cap. They've done that. They've they've absolutely delivered on that. Same with when they say that they're going to avoid. They they call them heritage events on on the PGA Tour. These these bigger named events that have some history with them and the and the majors. They said they're going to avoid those. And like another feather in their cap. They've done that. They've they deserve that credit. They've they've stood up to their word on that. They're not trying to get in the way of a lot of PGA Tour events. That's just you know that's just you know the the court cases and stuff that they're trying to get in the way of and all that. But they they've done well in setting up the schedule in that regard. But I just I just think it's such a such a miss to start and end the season outside the U.S. So just very simply, do you think Liv is in a stronger position now or in a weaker position than it was nine months ago? when it started with its first event in London. Yeah. Thinking, this is something that I've actually thought a lot about th this off season as well. And I, 
honestly, I think you can make a case for, for, for yes and no, but I don't think we're actually going to get a true answer on that until, like I said, a lot of these court cases are decided. I mean, the reasons for no, you haven't made any splash signings this year. We've talked about that. You still don't have OWGR points, which is a massive sticking point for players and complicates them getting in majors, which are the biggest events in the world, not just PGA Tour events, not live events, but everyone wants to play in the majors. They still can't get into that. They've got a TV deal. It's not great. But they've got one. I think that's that's kind of a loss. They they didn't really make any big steps in regards to that. I don't think. I haven't. Obviously, we don't know the exact full on details of what it's going. But it seems like they probably could have had a had a, had a better option. Maybe. Um, it, I guess it's it's all going to come down to the judge and, and and what they think. But if you want to say yes, they're in a better spot. You can do that. Like I said, a TV deal is better than no TV deal, right? They've got something now. Whether they can showcase that and if a network sees some promise in it, maybe that happens. That could be a reason why they're in a better spot here than they were nine months ago. Um, the funny the 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 focus doesn't have to be on the money now. It can be on um the actual teams and building these franchises. It doesn't have to be. Like, like we talked about earlier, doesn't have to be all the public investment fund, this Saudi Arabia, that they can start putting more focus into these teams. Now that could be a step in the right direction for them as well. Um, and like I said earlier, they proved they've got a product and now they just have to show that they can commercialize it. And they've taken steps toward doing that. They're not huge steps, but they're closer to, to their goal now than they were nine months ago. So that's how you can make the argument for, but it's just crazy that we all have so many opinions and so many thoughts on what live is and what live isn't and, and what's going to happen. And it's all going to come down to one person's opinion and it's the judge. And I think that's really going to come down to whether live, you know, sinks or swims. Yeah, that's uh that, that is, that is the big question right now. And it might not be resolved for a while. So that might not be particularly satisfying to people that they're going to have to, to wait for a resolution to this. Uh, but you know, if, if live continues to weaken, continues to struggle to get attention, you know, one big question is whether the players are really going to want to stick with it or whether they're going to start to, you know, regret their decision to jump to this league. Um, cause that's, uh, it, it seems like a possibility now in a way that it didn't seem last year that, that some players just might be dissatisfied with it. I'd be surprised if a lot of those guys weren't having those feelings already, you know, looking at how, how, how season one played out and how some of these guys are performing and seeing how it's all gone. I'm assuming a lot of these guys thought that they'd get their OWGR points. They thought a lot of this court stuff would be figured out by now and it hasn't. So I would, I, I would assume a lot of the guys are wondering, did I really make the right decision? And they're playing the what if game leading up to it. Now, once the tournament start rolling in again, they'll have something to focus on. Maybe they won't have those thoughts so much anymore, but I got it. I got to find it hard to believe that guys like Brooks and Bryson and all them who have just been getting just rolled through the media and haven't really been playing well, the times that they have teed it up. I got a hard time believing that they're not at least somewhat regretting their decision right now. So two things that we didn't really cover, and we're going to wrap up now, but uh, two things that we didn't really cover that you've sort of mentioned in these in these last comments. One is the TV deal. We didn't really talk about that, but basically Liv is going to be on the CW, and we'll see how that turns out. I think that's something to return to and to see how it actually goes. It's easy to make fun of. You know, uh, 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 on Twitter, uh, our friend Barry uh, at Sakumba made an incredible edit of uh, the One Tree Hill yeah. open theme uh with yeah. with live footage so <laughs> involved so in good. it it's hilarious i mean it's it's perfect it was it was really great but the thing is 
yes, the CW is an actual network and we'll see how it mm-hmm. works out. I, I don't know how that's going to go. I don't claim to claim to be certain of how that's going to play out or whether it's going to be better than YouTube. So that's one question. And then you mentioned the OWGR thing. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast before and so didn't want to return to that well too much. But that's obviously going to be a, a you know an issue for, for players going forward. Are they going to get OWGR points? And if not, how are they going to get into majors? Are the majors going to relent and open up some spots for live players? How is that all going to happen? Um, that's something that that we could see some developments on in, in the coming year. So another thing to keep an eye on. But I don't want to take any more of your time here, Adam. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. People can see your work at golfweek.com and Golf Week Magazine and Golf Week Golf Week is where you are. Where can people find you on, on Twitter? Yeah, Twitter at Adam Woodard, A-D-A-M-W-O-O-D-A-R-D. Um, that's where you find a lot of the stuff that I'm writing on, a lot of PGA Tour, a lot of live golf stuff, and uh, should be a, should be an interesting year here over the next few weeks. I'll be in Mexico for the first event, so follow along for that, and I'll hopefully get some more uh, on-the-scene reporting for what's actually going on at these international events. All right, thank you. Thank you. If you would like to support the fried egg, there are two main things that you can do with differing levels of intensity. Low intensity is just leaving a rating and review of the fried egg podcast in iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Those are really helpful for us to find new listeners and to continue growing what we're doing here. The higher intensity thing that you can do is to join Club TFE. It's $120 a year, and it is an extensive offering of exclusive content and exclusive benefits. If you go to thefriedegg.com slash membership, you can find out more about what Club TFE is all about. But we're really excited about it. We have the Club TFE blog going. That's been super fun. We've been interacting with members in the comment section and creating a cool little community there. And we've loved that. Uh, We've got all sorts of things going on in Club TFE. So please do check that out, thefriedegg.com slash membership. And thank you, as always, for listening.